Hey y'all, I'm James Roy and this is Texans Takes with James Roy. I have here next to me Eric Froton and if you don't know him, uh, you probably actually do because if you've been on Twitter recently, there's a graphic from NBC Sports that says that the Texans got a D in this draft. Now, Eric is the person behind this grade. Before we talk about that though, I kind of want to get to know Eric and I want to show y'all why his opinion carries some weight. He does do a lot of research and he has a job that is very much in this field as opposed to myself who is a fan that has Twitter. So two very different things. So Eric, wh where are you from originally? I see you've got some Celtic shorts on. Correct. I am a native Bostonian, but we are here at the Doyle Recreation Center in San Diego, California, University Town Center, to be more specific, where I just got done playing some basketball. It's why I'm flushed. I'm sweating. <laughs> Not just because I've been you know, the, the uh, bane of the Texas fans' existence over the past 48 hours. I'm sweating because of that, too. But also because I played a little bit of hoops. But uh, uh, I saw you out there getting after it. I was getting after doing in, my in best. The post. You know, yeah. And I'm taller than you thought. He is a little taller than I thought. I'd, I'd say, what, 6'1", 6'2"? 6'2 and a half. All right, yes, there you go. Yes, two bills. That's right, you know. <laughs> Played baseball in college, uh, basketball, AAU. So surprisingly not not a drinker. I know that that might surprise you. Especially being from Boston. <laughs> yeah, and Irish, and, right? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I, li I lived up in New England for a little bit early on in my time in the Navy, and uh, it's not a common train of thought to, no. to be that way as a person. But so... You, you, you told me before we started, you've been out in San Diego for like 19 years, so you feel like it's like a second life, So, and you're, you're playing in a, in a uh, softball league, and you're holding it down at first base for the PB Correct. Pub. The PB Pub, a, a noted dive, San Diego. <laughs> so you're not dealing with an aristocrat here, uh, out here in my ivory tower, somewhere in Stamford, Connecticut. No, PB Pub, first baseman. All right, and, and I looked at your, your LinkedIn profile. Sorry if that sounds a little creepy. But I noticed that there's real estate in your background, too. So are you, are you a full-time sports writer, or do you, do you dabble in real estate on the side? How does that go? Sure. Well, I guess that gets into my background a little bit. So uh, out of college, I was a journalism minor. I wrote for my town paper when I, I first started out, just covering local sports, and uh, was a management major, uh, marketing specifically. So I went into uh, real estate well, it's sales pretty much right out of college. Uh, got in the mortgages after I moved here in 2005. Was in that for a few years and transitioned over to traditional real estate sales. Um, worked for the number one short sale brokerage in San Diego through 2015. And then the short sales went away and transferred to a more traditional um, sort of a sales cycle. But uh, my background and where I come into play with NBC is in 20, 2001, my friends and I from Boston started a college fantasy football league. And my first ever draft selection was the immortal Luke Staley, 2001, running back, All-American BYU. At 230 pounds, he ran a 4-4-4. Uh, was a seventh-round pick of the Detroit Lions, but unfortunately shoulder injuries cut his career short. But I'll never forget the immortal Luke Staley. He is the uh, head coach of my fictitious college fantasy football team. And from there, um, every year, I would go through the Phil Steele college football preview, as any good college football fan would. And year after year after year, I'd go through and study all the players and refine my process and go through everything and look through the drafts. And, and for 23 years it's been now, I've, I've been obsessed with the, the full breadth of the FBS collegiate world. 
So because back at the beginning of that in your profile, it says that you had to like collate all that by hand. Correct. To like comb through all those stats. And that it kind of gets into the, a, an important point before we discuss your grade, which is that your background in terms of like research and in football in general is more in the, at the college level than it is at the pro level, right? Much more. That is my love. That is what I am employed by NBC to do. So in terms of what, um, you know, kind of brought me to the table, I've been there for almost five years now at NBC and started out doing the blurbs and all the things of that nature. But that college fantasy football background is what really led me into kind of data and, you know, enjoying breaking down stats and then more into film and getting everything and just, you know, the way I do evaluation correlated into uh, projection when it comes to player performance. So for the past four years, uh, in terms of projecting player performance, such as player props, uh, college fantasy football, DFS, things of that nature, when it comes to those sort of things, I am certainly one of the the leading voices in that space. And when it comes to college football props in general, I am the most successful college football prop prognosticator in the world over the past four years. So that is verified. The last 22 weeks uh, of each of the last four years, each season, I have given out a set of collegiate props. This is how many yards player X will get. I think they go over under. And I'm hitting at roughly like 68, 69% rate over that time, over thousands of projections. So when you are hearing these NFL draft prognosticators, a lot of these guys, um, you know, that's what they do. That's, that's their thing. And that's what they do. I prefer, I'm a market analyst. And while I would write all the blurbs, all the player profiles you see for NBC Sports on NBC Sports Edge, when every player gets taken, I write every single offensive, defensive line, secondary, linebacker, all of them. I write every single one of those. So I probably put 80,000 words plus of writing into this draft class over the course of this time frame. So in terms of my obligations, what I do, I analyze markets. I look at, uh, I do all the player profiles when it comes to collegiate player performance. Nobody in the world is better than I am at projecting collegiate player performance on a week-to-week -week basis. And if there is, show me. The longest paper I've ever written was I wrote a 10-page paper in college. Uh, so I, I couldn't imagine the amount of effort that goes into not only researching all of those players and, and having to like take on all that information and then educatedly type it up in a way that can be conveyed to people post-draft as players are coming off the board. It has to be a, a lot of work, I, I could imagine. But that gets into our deeper point, which is that for NBC Sports, they put out a graphic and, and the way that you said it to me was they kind of put this graphic out there and as Twitter, you know, I didn't see your handle associated with it. No, right? that wasn't. But, but everyone... <laughs> Flocked over to NBC Sports, all the Texans fans, yeah. and we went and we looked all and we said, I think everyone. Said, who, who wrote this article? Because the right up front, they put D, in, and you can imagine that sounds like clickbait because I think the only other person I can name off the top of my head that's given the same grade as you is a Twitter person that I know of named Chad Forbes. You may have heard of him, um, an NFL analyst guy. He, the man he, sounds like a genius. He Sometimes he gets it right. I don't know. I'm not. I don't. I don't follow him. If that says anything about how I feel about how he oh, God, the game. Oh yeah. But he gave the Texans a D as well. So that's the only other person in general I've seen anywhere from A to B ratings from a lot of NFL and college level analysts. So let's get into the root of it. I'll just ask this broad question: Why did you give the Texans a D for this draft? Sure. Well, I'm going to start with the top. So let's get out of the way. Up one. Two, CJ Stroud, fine. I don't have any problem with CJ Stroud. Uh, 
I ranked him as the second quarterback. I think he should have been the pick there. No problem. Okay. You're holding serve. You took you should take. Right on. No problem. It's the pick. It's it's the trade. And I think this is pretty logical. Because if you look what Arizona did, and if you look at the position you put Arizona in, you could have been in this position. And it's the hammer position. It's what the Eagles have done and why you hear Howie Roseman being absolutely praised to the heavens everywhere. It's because he's using that draft capital as leverage. And it's leaning on these other teams because he, he's doing it so well. Look at what they did, all right? Will Anderson, you're at the 112 for nine spots. You're foregoing a player anyways that you would have. Lucas Van Ness, potentially. We'll get to that. You give up the 12, the number 33, a third, and receive a fourth back in addition to Will Anderson. So look at the opportunity cost. Now I'm kind of looking at this from a market-based perspective because that's kind of how I, I like to look at these things. Is what did you have for capital? How did you allocate it? What did you come up with? All right, so the players are talented. I, I have no problem with Will Anderson. My gosh, yeah, he's my number one edge. I, I understand. But it's the big picture of how you cut off your nose to spite your face. If you look at what Arizona subsequently went and did with the 33 pick, it even becomes worse. The number 33, they go and they see. Because that was a prime pick. It was the number two pick in the second round. What happened? Pittsburgh trades up to the 32, gets Joey Porter Jr. A premium pick. Everybody has all day to think about it. You have three years of team control instead of that four that you're locked into. And then you have that fourth option. So you go get Joey Porter Jr. Immediately the next pick, Detroit trades right up to the same exact spot that you guys traded away. They trade the 41. They move up nine spots in Arizona in the third and get an extra third. With that 41 pick, they take B.J. Ojolari, who for my money is a stud. Stud. Another SEC caliber pass rusher. Dominant. In terms of the full range of what he does, his toolkit is as good as anybody in the class, probably better. I think when it comes to the full, the moves, throws different tempos. Different. His, his hands are incredible. I mean, you look at the way he counters, works hard to get off of blocks, the speed off the edge. He's got a pedigree where his brother Aziz went to Georgia. I mean, he is a star pass rusher. I love Ojolari. He was my number six. So you're giving up him as well, plus getting a third to Arizona. And then if you look at the odds, Arizona right now is plus 20,000 to win the Super Bowl. Tied with them, the worst odds, is Houston. I just did a 2024 mock with my colleague, Connor Rogers, who I know the other uh, Texas fan podcast I'm going on with later is having him on. Maybe you should too. Uh, he's great. We just did a 2024 mock. In that mock, Arizona has the first two picks. And in, I've seen a lot of other 2024s. I would, I would ask everybody else to go and take a look, too. Please, check my work. Ian Cummings, Pro Football Network, a brilliant guy. He has a couple 2024s out there. He has Washington trading up from the 7-8 spot to that number two pick where Arizona goes and takes Marvin Harrison. Then they don't need a QB. They, trade, they allow Caleb Williams to go who is an absolute superstar up here from USC. And he was a superstar from day one when he stepped on foot on Oklahoma's campus, 
all right? Because I've been studying these guys, you got to remember, since they were juniors in high school. So this is finishing class for me with all these prospects because I'm evaluating everybody from a college fantasy, from a C2C, from a developmental perspective on how they are going into high school because I'm drafting all these guys right out of high school. And I've watched them for three years. And Caleb Williams is a guy who, you know, I think is consensus number one overall in, in anyone's book. I don't know anyone who's trying to argue that he's not. And, and you've watched him step up from the high school level through college and you agree. And so the Texans, you know, take the bet on C.J. Stroud. That's fine. But then the risk that they take here per your grade is, is that they've, you know, and, and I've seen the projections, right? As many people who have given the Texans an A or a B on their draft have also projected that pick to be a top three pick. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that projection, but I, I, I've told you before we started that I, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I, I see the Texans as like, I, I think when you make a move like they did, that the expectation moves, right? I think that six wins was about where I was at for like an all right, good season for the Texans before the trade. When you trade up and grab Will Anderson and CJ Stroud, that expectation goes up to like eight or nine wins. You're looking at expecting to be close to 500 and the track record of rookie quarterbacks in their first year is, is not conducive to that. But that's what you think they see when they make that trade. So I, I do see the concern that you have there. I guess my, my follow on question for you is, is, um, what would it take for your grade in your eyes to be wrong? Like, what do the Texans? I think it's pretty obvious, but I'd like to see what your spin is on on how this draft class can prove that this is not a D grade. I would say they have to be successful. They have to win more games. You can't just go and get five. You can't get five wins. You cannot be in that bottom five. It would be a catastrophe. I don't want to be sitting here in a year in in January because that I'm I'm afraid that's what could happen. And have you guys sitting there with your heads in your hands saying, oh, my gosh, we could have had, even if you don't want Caleb Williams, the draft capital associated with that. Instead of being the ones to trade up and do what you did with, with Arizona, you could have been the ones reaping the windfall. And I, don't, I want that. I don't have anything against Houston. You know, I, I want to see you guys do well. I just I, I can't help but look at the full picture. And like the great Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham once sang, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. And you can't. Stop when you have that much valuable draft capital. Because it's a, you should have traded the Browns. You should have made sure you traded the Browns pick. Because then it's a fail-safe. It's a break in case of emergency. If everything goes wrong, if C.J. Stroud doesn't develop like you think he's going to, you always got that pick. And you have the number one. And you can do whatever you want with it because you already have your franchise QB. And you can hold it ransom, even if it's the number two, even if it's the number three. Look, it's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. It's going to be Caleb Williams. And, and a lot of the fan base believes that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the true wide receiver one that we're seeking. Because no matter how you feel about how the Texans drafted this year, Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchinson, or Xavier Hutchinson are really great pickups, especially Xavier Hutchinson at his value. But you have to look at the wide receiver position on the Houston Texans and think, where is wide receiver one? Because it's not anyone who's on the team right now. They'll, they'll be on the depth chart as wide receiver one, but they're not necessarily going to play it. So from that perspective, I do agree. Um, I, I do feel personally like the Texans, I, I, if I'm in that room, I'm thinking that both sides came to this agreement pretty easily. And the reason I'm thinking that is, is because on the Cardinal side, yeah, the Texans. Why pick, wouldn't you? They the were Texans begging pick, people to trade down. The, begging people. The Texans pick in 2024 Please. is as good as a top five pick in the Cardinals eyes. Yes. Because the Cardinals don't see very many teams that are as bad as them. And they're looking at one square in the face that's trading with them. On the flip side, 
the Texans may be on a, on a high from the D'Amico Ryan's hiring. Free agency went pretty well. It, yep. you, you gave C.J. Stroud what he needed for his first year, which is Jim you know, Schultz. Schultz. Yep. Um, but you, you think Mechie's back. Yeah, you could think that the Texans in that room were making that trade, and they were thinking, wow, we really fleeced the Cardinals because the Browns are going to be far worse than we are next year. But Vegas doesn't agree with that. I, I, I don't look, agree with that either. I personally had that thought when the, it initially happened. I, I'm looking at the numbers. The Browns are projected as a 9.5 win team, and the Texans are projecting at a 5.5 win team. So I guess I do see merit to the grade. Now, is the only reason you gave this grade because of the trade at the top, or is there any reason to believe that the talent later in the draft that the Texans picked is, is giving them a lower grade? Let's start off. I, I want to I, I address the, the Cleveland thing, and I okay. do want to address Houston draft as well. And I, I want you to understand something. I'm going to go from the third round up back. because. Once you get past the first and the second pick, these two drafts in terms of capital are pretty similar. Like in terms of picks, Cleveland, uh, 374, 398, 4111, 4126, 5140, 5142, 6190. So in terms of picks, that's their entire draft. They didn't have a first or second rounder because they traded for you know who. So um, very similar. So let's look at Houston. He who shall not be named. <laughs> Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't blame you guys at all. But okay, let's look at Juice Scruggs. Okay, so I'm going to use a, a objective barometer here. It doesn't matter what I think. Um, I'm going to go, are you familiar with Arif Hassan for Pro Football Network? I've heard, I've heard of him. Cool. Well, just so you know, uh, he's a brilliant man. He's a good friend of mine. And he put together an industry consensus ranks. So he is somebody who is psycho enough, bless his heart, to put everybody's ranks and like collate all of them, and he has a industry rank. This is where everybody is, and it's just a giant industry big board. So I'm going to use that because it takes everything into account. It isn't subjective; it's empirical data, and that's how I like to roll. So, according to Arif's value chart, Juice Scruggs taken with the 62nd pick overall, valued by the industry consensus 175. Yeah, that, that move didn't make any sense to me. To, to move up from 65 to 62 is one thing, but with a guy like, say, Luke Whippler, who fell to the sixth round. And who took him? And who took it? I believe... Cleveland did. Cleveland, Cleveland took uh, exactly. him. Exactly. That's a great deal. And I'll get to Cleveland's draft, because I just think their third round and, and beyond is just better. So Juice Scruggs, I see as, I mean, objectively, 113 spots ahead of projected value. Now, obviously, this is all wildly subjective, but that's everybody involved. That's the whole consensus. You have to believe that somewhere in the Texans organization, they were watching film and they said, this guy looks like he's better than he's graded. But it, I, I do admit, like, I was on a live feed with uh, some members of my podcast network uh, during the draft, and my re immediate reaction to the Juice Scruggs pick was not exactly super positive. So I, I, I it, even not knowing anything about him, I was, like, hesitant to be celebratory. I wasn't necessarily booing the pick. I, you got to trust that the people who run the organization are trying their best to do what they think is right. But there's a point where you're like, okay, well, there's that disparity in value. I'm questioning it. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I don't think anybody really expected Juice Scruggs to be a top 15 overall selected offensive lineman. I mean, I didn't see that. He was a, a Shrine Bowl invitee, as we kind of talked about. And the Shrine Bowl, while I was there, I was at the NFLPA Bowl three days as the Shrine Bowl for every single day of practice, okay? I saw all these guys down here at this end. Drew Scruggs is fine. He made my all-Shrine Bowl team. I, I, I thought he was fine, but the Shrine Bowl is not the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl is the premier event in the off-season stuff. He wasn't invited to that. 
plenty of offensive linemen were that were taken after him. I'm not saying that that's a, it should be an end-all, be-all, because there's plenty of good players at the Shrine Bowl. But I think he was the first player taken from the Shrine Bowl. I think he was, I think, besides Zay Flowers, but he kind of doesn't count. He was just there. He literally took two screens and just did interviews. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, that's, that's an indictment on it. And then, I mean, Nathaniel Dell, Senior Bowl, obviously a star at the Senior Bowl. He's 5'8", 165. I mean, I know he's a Houston boy. He's a local boy. I respect it. He was a terror, terror in college. I mean, good luck covering him. I don't have any problem with Nathaniel Dell as a player, but you guys need something a little more than that. Um, a manufactured touch receiver is 5'8", 165 at the 69 pick. He was valued at 83. That's fine. But, you know, it's, it's a 5'8", 165 receiver. It is another player the Texans traded up for because mm-hmm. that was a trend. There was eight trades in the draft, and there was, I believe, only two picks that Nick Casario did not trade up to make. And there was very few of them he traded up for that I thought he needed to trade up for. That's the Patriot way. And you're a Patriot fan, yes, so you're familiar with that draft tactic. But the Texans, once again, were at 73. They could have gotten him 10 spots down. Instead, they traded sure. down four spots to get Tank Dell. Now, I do, I personally, like the selection, as you can imagine, as a fan of the University of Houston, as a fan, as, as having watched him and seen what he's done statistically. So I think in some ways it's a very similar story to Bryce Young where it's there, the size is not, but his skill is there, and he can carve out a, a place for himself in the NFL. It's just going to be a matter of if he can stay on the field. What makes him different, and I do like him, like as stated, I'm a college fantasy guy. I, I love Debbie, all that stuff. I love these guys. I watch more college tape than I guarantee anybody in season. Nobody watches more college tape than I am because I'm projecting performance from week to week, every week. I have to be on the ball every week. I'm watching 20 games a week. He's a pleasure to watch. And I love Clayton Toon. He's my QB6. I love him. I, I, I'm glad he went to Arizona. I hope he gets a chance to play this year. I'm sure you do too. Like a four-year guy, great athlete. He had that, that pulled hamstring in 21 where he couldn't run, and it really hampered the offense. But, man, he's so good in 22. I was kind of hoping that the Texans would stay at Mr. Irrelevant and that he would be available oh, there. It would have been, you know, Brock Purdy 2.0. Who knows? Oh, I think, Who well, knows? It's, it's perfect. He goes to Arizona. He could be there. He could play, you know, because Kyler isn't going to be playing. So, I, you know, I'm sorry I got off on a tangent, but I did want to show okay. Houston love because I do have love for Houston. And it's just when I, I look at Dell, you know, again, electric, but what is his ceiling and what is his usage? I think he's better than Rondale Moore, but Rondale Moore is a guy who, you know, has a two-yard dot average depth of target. And I was in college. It is, it's literally an extended handoff guy. How do you use these players? How do you really get the most out of them? And you don't have somebody who really stretches the field right now. Maybe Nico Collins. But Mechie's a, a possession. He's not a, he's not a burner downfield. Um, Dell was supposed to be that. He was lined. Okay, because again, markets my thing. He was lined at like four three one, the open at, right? The markets for his forty time. He ran a four four nine at hundred sixty five pounds. It was a little slower. I mean, look, it just is what it is. I mean, you got you can't be running a four five and be one hundred sixty five pounds at five eight and expect to really separate. I know he has like you know the three cone, the shuttle, and and he has agility, but there aren't a lot of comps of guys that are that size that just come out and can be a one two wide. And to speak to that, so having watched a lot of drafts, you know, you look at prospects and you go, wow, I like that guy. I'd like my team to have him. And you look at players from your favorite teams. Like there was a couple of players from, from Texas on the board that I was like, I really wish that the Texans would draft him. I was, you know, Tank Dell, obviously, 
But in the past, the Texans have never drafted players that I thought that highly of because of scheme fit or other situations. And this is one of the first times that I've really seen, like, like back in 06 when they had the number one overall pick, I wanted Vince Young to be drafted to the Texans so incredibly bad. And so Mario Williams being called was disappointing in my eyes. But in this case, I think you can kind of justify Tank Dell to an extent. I think you're right that the value and his size are concerning. But if you look at the offense that's being run in San Francisco, you look at guys like Brandon Ayuk, you look at guys like uh, Debo Samuel, that's, I think, the role they're trying to put Tank Dell into. I hope he can fill it. I don't know if he's necessarily a direct comp to those players, but in an offense that relies on a lot of speed, a lot of you know short throws and, and setting the quarterback up, it's quarterback friendly, you know, you would hope that Tank Dell can find his place in that offense. Personally. Yep, and, and I, again, I don't mean to besmirch the good name of Tank Dell. I certainly don't <laughs> want to hear it too. But I will say Brandon Ayuk and, and Debo, they're like 35, 40 pounds heavier. Exactly. So they're different. Debo, he breaks tackles. And like he, he takes a lot tank, of hits too. Tank does a great job avoiding them. But, you know, look, it's not even a problem. I don't even have a problem with Tank Dell. He's fine. Dylan Horton, uh, the num- round four, number 109, ranked as the number 160th player. That's a 51-spot differential back. Dylan Horton, fine. You know, again, TCU, I'm sure you, you know, you've probably seen them, was an important player for them down the stretch, especially. I mean, they went to the national title game. We won't talk about what happened there, but <laughs> look, it was a Cinderella run. It's, I don't even care what happened there. They got there, you know? Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Dylan Horton was great, but he's not this freak athlete, you know? He's probably more of an edge setter type. He doesn't have the real twitch, you know? Um, but he's fine. He's a, he's a good, solid rotational edge, but he's, he's not a great player, you know? He's probably like the somewhere in the 15 to 20 you know, edge 15 to 20. Um, and then you get, so that's the top. That's the top three, and, and you know, 62, 69, 109. Those are your, along with the top three, your big picks. And then you get down to fifth round pick 167. But yeah. the So the thing I want to bring up here, though, is that to this point in the draft, all of the players that, that the Texans have taken are all team captains in college. And of their draft picks, seven of nine are. And it's just an interesting trend I've noticed. A lot of guys that you know are Texans fans that that go more into the analysis side, specifically Texans thoughts. Jordan Pun um, has said, you know, maybe I should just start analyzing team captains because that seems like that's all they want to take in the draft. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. But uh, so in round five, right, they went with uh, Henry Tuolto. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is where like and and no hate that obviously Henry Tuolto was a guy that most people had for round five. And here's where they do a pretty decent job. Uh, ranked 93, according to census. 75 picks below consensus, a good deal to it. But, you know, you look at him, and what is he, and how does he fit in? 6'1", 227. He was more of a downhill C, you know, uh, break on the ball linebacker. He's not going to be covering... He doesn't have that sort of agility. That's not really his thing. He's not a great athlete, but he's, again, cerebral. See what's in front of him. Good with his fills. You know, great. But he's not sideline to sideline, and he's 227 pounds. If you're going to be a, you know, a, a going forward and moving uh, ahead, you know, taking on blockers and filling gaps and, and a run support linebacker, most of the time those guys are 240. Those guys are 250. You know, the Nick Bolton types, the, the you know, Leo Chenault. The big boys. Well, 
the 227 pounders are usually coverage guys. You're going to be using them against backs. You're going to be using them against tight ends. If you got to really drop him in a zone and have him, you know, cover slots coming across the middle, usually you're doing some of that stuff. But that's really not his skill set. He doesn't have really the lateral movement to be able to move like that. So where is his spot? And I think that's why he dropped. That, where does he fit into the linebacker core? I guess from your perspective, looking at early depth charts. So big, big linebacker signings the Texans had are Denzel Perryman and Corey Littleton. Um, right now, Denzel Perryman and uh, Christian Harris from the draft last year are projecting as starters. I would say early on he's a rotation guy who's there to learn. I think the common consensus is, is that because D'Amico Ryans played a very similar position at Alabama, that maybe he thinks he can mold you know, Henry into the, the kind of player that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I have to believe in the building they see the fit, but when we were talking about um, leading up to the draft, uh, linebackers that the Texans should be targeting, I think that that the consensus was that they were looking for more of a, an NFL-ready linebacker that okay. could be a field general. But and, and then I'm not quite sure they got that in Henry. I, I I would love to see that they did, but I just don't know personally. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's like he's a, he's you know Tennessee, very very productive. Gets the bump up to Alabama. You're never really going to go wrong with that. Obviously, next to Christian Harris, um, no problem with that. Obviously, and then uh, get into the sixth round, Xavier Hutchinson, no problem. College fantasy guy, I, got, I, I think that's a great pick. It's probably your best pick, in my opinion. Xavier uh, uh, Hutchinson, we'll throw him out there. See what happens. Sure. That, oh, Iowa State, super productive. Got a ton of passes. Four-year guy, Brock Purdy. He was the guy at Iowa State, hands down. You've seen that program, Matt Campbell, produce guys. Alan Lazard, you know, very productive. Got himself a second contract. He's with the Jets now. Another Iowa yeah. State guy who was that alpha receiver. Like, I got no problem with J.D. Hutchinson, so I'm cool there. Um, that was, you know, one, that was one that I definitely saw him falling, and I was like, how is he falling? Because I felt – I so obviously fan mock drafts, I, I've learned through several off-seasons, don't carry a whole lot of weight um, yeah. as exemplified. by and, and I guess Andre Carter's not a great example because his combine is really what kind of tanked his stock, but he was – Projecting as and high as he got as, swallowed up at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he was. He couldn't, he couldn't move anybody. He just doesn't have the power. Well, he's an Army guy. I mean, they, yeah, he's, so they can't. Guy. They can't get much bigger than that. So he went from be projecting. I think some people were projecting him late first, early second, and then he dropped all the way out of the draft. And so yeah. watching a lot of projections, I saw Hutchinson as a guy who could go like 104, like early, like the first picks that the Texans had initially in the fourth round would have been a great place for him to go in my eyes. So watching him slip that far and watching the Texans trade back up to get him after taking uh, Jared Patterson uh, sure. was, was nice to see. I thought. And with Patterson, too, like I've, there's a reason why he is where he is. He's a six foot five center. He's 306 pounds, and he has 31-inch arms. Skronsky has 32-inch arms, and we heard all day and night about how short his arms are, and he can't play tackle. Dude. To be that tall and have those T-Rex arms, it's it's unnatural to have. <laughs> yeah. I have like 32. I'm, I'm 6'2". And I, like, he shouldn't have 31 and a half inch arms and be a center. And like his movement skills, not good. Not good lateral movement. Not very good. So like you're talking about a center who's got a pull. I, I can't see him surviving with 31 inch arms and having to move like he has. So that's why he's in the sixth round. And Brandon Hill, great special team. We're fine. But... Um, you know, the top three picks from that third and then the fourth, not great value. that We could throw out Dell, but Scruggs and Horton, objectively, you know, not great values to go with that. 
And the benchmark I'd like to use, as we discussed, is Cleveland. All right, so you look at Cleveland, number 74 with the third round pick, Cedric Tillman. I love me some Cedric Tillman. I love, oh my gosh. Cedric Tillman, you went after Tank Dell. Look, I get it. I get you. I like Tank Dell. I don't hate him. It's just he is a type. Reading up on Cedric Tillman's scouting report, oh, he, he reminded me of, of DeAndre Hopkins. They said his like point of catch and like just contested catchability. I was like, ooh, that could be. It's just he's a late he's a late bloomer because it, it you know it was year three before we really kind of came out and uh, that was 2021. He had, he had ten catches for 200 yards against the Georgia 2021 D. He lit him on fire. He's get ready, okay? I love that pick, Siaki Ika. Right, they take with 398 Baylor, giant 340 pound two gapping monster. He was a big deal for Baylor last year. Baylor and and people crap on the Big Ten's uh, Big Twelve, excuse me, defenses. Iowa State, Baylor, Texas's interior with Colburn and Ajomo. Are you kidding? They had some good interior lines there. They had some good defenses that people don't realize. Now I don't know if if I I I remember hearing reports that that his problem specifically was that he was more injury prone. Is there any merit to that? Sure. I mean, but he he kept around this season. I mean, he hung around, he played, and he was a absolute planet in the middle of that line. He's why Baylor and Dave Aranda, who's a defensive coach, could play a slow-down system, you know, and, and win games, do better, despite the fact that they had massive roster tone. So, like, Ika was a factor for them, and I, I don't want to discount him. That's a real solid play in the middle, just a two-gapper. Two downs, run-down guy, fine. Dewan Jones, fourth round, number 111. Projected a lot earlier, broke his foot, from what I heard. Did his one day at the Senior Bowl and left. 6'8", 374, an absolute gargantuan human being. You can't teach it. Fourth round, why not? You know, yeah, he broke his foot. He, he got, he put on weight after he, he broke his foot, and that's really why he slipped. But it's like, hey, okay, get the man on a diet program. At, four, at 111, jackpot. Isaiah McGuire, edge, Missouri, 126. I like him better than Dylan Horton, and it's not particularly close. And he's a prototype. He's got the, the like the body type, the frame the structure is there. I feel like he's better in terms of like speed, in terms of athleticism. It's, it, I would just rather have him. I do remember hearing his name before the draft, which is more than I can say for Dylan Horton. Yeah, and fair enough. And I don't not to disperse the good name of Dylan Horton. I, I'm just trying to give you my perspective. Oh, yeah. And then I like Cameron Mitchell, uh, the fifth round pick, 142 Northwestern. Cameron Mitchell was a damn good cornerback. For, you know, a, a team that wasn't particularly good, obviously Northwestern hasn't been very good, but, like, he was pretty damn good. And in the sixth, the fifth round, 142, I have no problem with that. And then a guy you already mentioned, Luke Whipler, number 190, picked in the sixth round, uh, center. W- what's the problem here? Give me Luke Whipler over Jared Patterson. All day, every day, not even close. No, no offense, but I, I just can't, I, I don't understand, so... I look at that pick but by the Cleveland Browns, where they already have the QB in place. Again, I know you don't like him, but he's in place. They give him Tillman, who is a guy I love. And they already have Amari Cooper there, and you can fill him in. You get a two-gapper in Ika. You got a big, badass right tackle. And Dewan Jones throwing Isaiah McGuire on the edge to rotate through, and Cameron Mitchell's a developmental CB. And that's a draft I look at and go, all right, well, look at that draft capital, what they had, and what they made of it. And that's why I look at what the Houston had and the draft capital, and what they got out of it. And I can't sit here and reward it 
and say, yeah, I mean, I know you got those two top guys, the top end of the draft, and I get it. And they're great. And I have no problem with either of those guys. But what did you have? And what did you get? And how did it affect what you're going to do next year? Because next year is going to come in eight months, guys. Eight months. Not a long time. You have to always have that in mind. And I, it just, it was the now. And it's kind of indicative of what the NFL kind of does sometimes. And hell, Shane Stegen's a Patriots guy. Respect. But it's a now move on a roster that is not a now roster. How are you going to score points? The Texans, how many points per game did they score last year? The Texans, I want to say we're around 20 points. No, it was probably close. 17 was the number that I remember. I don't have it off the top of my head. That's a guess. 16.0. Okay. 15.9 was the worst. They were third. Okay. 16.2 the year before that. Again, bottom three. Total yardage, bottom three. Both of the last two years. This offense is not a good offense. It just isn't. And you're throwing in a rookie QB in there. And I like Damian Pierce, and I, I respect where he's coming from. You're asking a lot of them. And you don't have weapons on the outside to be able to support a nine-win team? And the other part of it, too, is, is that C.J. Stroud lived with weapons he, he had an abundance of them i made a highlight reel for the draft class recently and i couldn't find very many highlights of cj stroud that didn't feature marvin harrison jr catching the ball or a buka it, it, yeah, i love buka. buka too trust Either me one of you them, would like to have him next year oh, I, yeah. I am the world's number one buka fan i had him in 11 different college fantasy leagues before last season and i told everybody what was about to happen and it happened so that's the thing is a lot of these guys, there's no in-the-moment accountability. I am accountable for everything I do in the moment every time I say something. So, like, this is nothing new to me. I have to do it every week of every college football season. I predict the future every week better than anybody alive when it comes to player performance. So, this is old hat. I'm just looking at it from a market perspective. And I just feel like you're going to you have to win nine games. You have to win at least eight. Because you don't want to be sitting here with the three. You don't want to be sitting here with Arizona with the two pick next year. And you're all going to be pissed off. I guess. But so my, my counterpoint to that is, is that when we look at the Texans last season, they were within one score of or won 10 games last year. So they're, of their losses, seven of them were one score games against teams like the Chiefs and the Cowboys, who went pretty deep in the playoffs. Um, so I guess my question is, is, do you think that there was enough improvement on defense to possibly push this team to a point where the offense can have a year to progress and they can still get those wins. Sure, and I don't want to. I don't want to discount the free agent signings. Obviously, you guys had money to, to work with. You did, like you said, both the linebacker core. Um, I think you guys, obviously, with Ryan's, and it's it's a good hire. It's an eternal guy. Great hire. I mean, the, every it's a known commodity. He's he's a Texans guy. I, I think that stuff matters. You know, organizational culture. And obviously, like you talked about taking captains, more organizational culture stuff, and that matters. Um, I do think that they will improve. They weren't great last year on defense either, statistically. Last in run defense. I know. So, you know, and I looked at that too, and I want to say they were maybe, well, I want to say sixth in points allowed, but I, I could be wrong on that. That being said, they will improve. You got to score some points, and now you have a rookie QB, and it's a rookie QB who, as you said, had a great wall in front of him. Paris Johnson on the right, Dewan Jones on the left. You have a couple of star, like there's a couple of uh, 
interior offensive linemen that will be drafted next year that are fringe first rounders. There's definitely one I can't remember. I was just looking at 2024. Yeah, I forget who he is, but but anyways, there's there's a lot of talent there in front of him, and he's playing against teams that are generally not as talented as Ohio State. Twice a year, you play Michigan and Penn State. Even as Penn State, they handle Penn State's going to be real this year, and those are those two real teams. So. Otherwise, they're they're drastically over talented versus everybody else, and you got Ibuka, and you got JSN, and you got Marvin Jr., and you got Olave, and you got Garrett Wilson. There's and the hits playing hits. He's going to have to do this outside of structure, and he didn't do it much outside of structure besides Georgia. Georgia, yeah. And he's got the best of the best that he's working with, even doing that. And it's like when you go from the best of the best now, what budding a, a fledgling wide receiver core, who we don't know what we got there. There's a lot of unknowns, and you should. You would have had a great edge rusher. Think about if you just instead of trading down the three, take Van Ness at twelve. We take Van Ness at twelve, or Ojolari at thirty-three. Ojolari at forty-one. When they when you get the Godfather offer to come down for Will Levis, and you go take him as you should. You think the Titans make that same offer to the Texans though? <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. Uh, Fosky, you could get whatever you get. You get a badass edge, but if you really wanted a badass badass edge, and you wanted Perry Wilson, you know what you could have done. You have a apples to apples comparison there, where Detroit was at the six. What did Arizona do when they traded back to the twelve? They traded right back up to the six, and they used your number thirty three pick, or the number thirty four pick. Excuse me. Because they kept the 33, which they traded for Will Levis to move back five, eight spots. So they took the 34, which is their pick already, and they traded that to move up to get Paris Johnson to six. All you had to do was stay there and take the 33 and use it to move up to six, and you get Tyree Wilson, who went seven to the Raiders. You could have done that. And so you get options. There's no denying. I, I went over all these situations in my head immediately, you know, and and I kind of took the approach of I'm going to be excited about what happened because it was it was amazing as it was happening. But my first question when it happened was, what's the compensation? What did we give up? Why did we give it up? Who could we get instead? Right. I'm going through all of these hypotheticals that we're talking about right now as well. And 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 I do I am of, of the belief that if I was in that office, I might not have made that exact same trade. But I'm also not paid by the Texans organization to make those decisions. Um but I do have one more question before we kind of draw to a close on this. And that is, we talk a lot about how this trade has affected your grade. Let's say the Texans get the same talent, or maybe we can assume they stay at 12 and they get a comparable edge, right? Um, how would that affect your grade? How heavy-handed is the later round decisions affecting your D grade as opposed to the trade itself? It has to factor in. Drew Scruggs in the third round has to factor in when he's 111 spots ahead. So That's like, a factor. How, how, so, so is Dylan Horton. That's a factor. Like, it all counts. So does, you know? the, grade, so, does the grade go up whenever you uh, trade up or whenever you don't do the trade? Like, is it like, say, a C instead? or? I would say, talent-wise, that has been acquired, I think it's fair to say B-. You know, maybe, maybe a straight B. I, I, I think because you are getting two superstars at the top. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it's not like that middle portion was great, and it's not like I'm in love with the guys they got for the fits outside of Hutchinson down the board, and I'm cool with Tuoto, but 
it wasn't just an absolute avalanche of talent down the board. And you could have used that second round pick, you know, that I feel like to really shore up the draft class. So I would say talent wise, you know, it probably a, 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 a B minus B, I think is fair. Um, I saw John Daigle, my colleague, give him a C plus. I think, you know, um, if they go and they do well enough to get a 15 to 20 area pick, I think it's real reasonable to say, okay, you know, C plus, C, yeah, okay, that's fair. You know, because then you're, you're saying, not giving you're up saying as much. like after this season, if if the Texans pick moves up to the middle, yeah, then then I, I deserve then I deserve you can give it to me. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the old takes exposed. All right, yeah, yeah, bring it to me. Yeah. Like, I'll and take that, it, guys. And I'm happy, guys. I'm happy against the Texans. I want that. And I hope. I hope it all goes well. I want to see the Patriots disciples, you know, do well. And I certainly don't have any hate. I wore my Oklahoma State football that might not endear me or might. It depends on me. who you ask. I mean, there's a couple People. Texans fans in Oklahoma. There's a couple. Of, there's one or two, maybe. It depends on how many of them might, like Oklahoma State. I don't know. I don't know. And that's funny because so old takes exposed is actually how we set up this interview because I under the graphic my tweet was just at old takes exposed, and then I got a nice reply from Eric uh, saying that he would talk to me and uh, explain why he felt the way he did and and I feel like that's exactly what you've done today. Just trying to be nice and explain it, and I I hope I don't you know hope everyone knows I don't have any animosity and I'm just trying to take it based on draft capital how it was allocated, and sure. Hey, look, I hope you guys do great. I hope that it isn't, you know, I hope that I hope the Browns tank. I hope they go and you get the number two pick anyways. <laughs> I hope you get Marvin Harrison anyways, and that all goes great for you. Because I have no allegiance to the Browns or any of that stuff. But, you know, I'm just saying it, it's it's a real risk. And I think you do have to factor in that this could go very, very badly if you don't, if you this season doesn't win the amount of games you need to. I agree. I think it's high risk, and I think there's there's valid points from both sides. I, I'd say, honestly, a lot of the Texan side argument is driven by optimism and potential, whereas you know, pessimism and, and reason would dictate that the risk is not worth it in this situation. Um, I see merit to both sides, and I, I I'm prepared to you know endure whatever result has been brought on by this. But thanks, Eric, for coming on and talking about your degrade of the Texans draft. Sorry. I, no I offense, hope. Guys. I hope for my sake, that you're wrong. Um, I hope I am too. Look, I, it's just a grade. I, I'm okay with it. If it, it goes wrong, I hope you, you guys have been very nice. I'm looking forward to the other podcast. No hate for the Texans faithful, and, and best of luck. All right. Well, thanks for being on, and uh, have a nice day. This has been Texans Takes with James Roy, and uh, till next time, see you later. <laughs>